This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3118 for Wednesday the 15th of July 2020. Today's show is entitled Linux in Laws Season 1 Episode 10 The Python Bumper Part 1 and is part of the series Linux in Laws. It is the 10th anniversary show of Monochrome X and is about 91 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is a discussion of Python questions and their answers. Part 1. Plus news on Brad and Alia. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Martin, good evening. How are things? Good evening, Chris. Things are great. How about you? Excellent. Can't complain. Beer is stocked, so we're ready to roll for another episode of Linux in Laws. Season 1, episode, what is it, 10, right? 10, yes. Well done. Well done, that man. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, um, for this episode, we have the usual news feed in stock, then a little bit of Python, maybe some funny ramblings, and then it's feedback, and then we're done, um, I think. Maybe a lot of Python. Yeah. Mm, depending. Martin had the idea of doing a special on Python, as in special episode on Python, so this is what we're doing today. Um, Martin is posing as a novice, and I'll try to draw as little as... What's what I'm looking for? As few blanks as possible <laughs> on the questions that Martin's going to ask me. And you don't know what these questions are either, do you? Uh, I wouldn't have a clue. A good skill. <laughs> Same thing with Python, so let's see what, what I can come up with. 
<laughs> so why are we doing this exactly? Yeah. Uh, okay. Because this was your idea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you volunteered to be the expert on this. Well, as I said, let's see how, how, how I'm fair, <clears throat> how I can measure up. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, shall we... Um, the news, yes. Dive right in. Oh, no. Uh, uh, the news. What about Stackless? <laughs> That's not news. Be. That's old news. That's news. No. Okay. No. Um, so what is news? News. news yes. Uh, currently it's five eight. A guy called Linus Torvalds. I don't know if that rings a bell. Um, claims. I think we mentioned him last year. Yeah, right? probably. Uh, yeah, I think there's this operating system called Linux that he invented more mm -hmm. than twenty years ago. More than twenty years ago. More than twenty years. Twenty five mm -hmm. years in a bit, I think. Um, Linus, if you're listening, uh, please send feedback. I think it's 92, but we might be off. Okay, um, Linus has gone public with the fact that 5.8, which is just basically in the set of release candidate, it will be the biggest release ever, he says. Oh, well, until um, 5.9, surely? Mm. <clears throat> um, no? no, if apparently what, ha what happened, they mm, did a lot of new functionality in terms of core kernel functionality not just kind of device drivers and stuff but all the rather scheduling amendments file system amendments and all the rest of it as part of this release so I'm really looking forward to kind of put this into production and see how it measures up also apparently some subsystems um, some subsystems were uh, how can I put this um, subjected to some performance optimizations uh huh. Like. Like what? Well, you just mentioned performance optimizations. What are they? Um, you'll find the details in the show notes. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, more like five systems. I think that I think they did a lot of work on the schedulers, um, both I/O and process schedulers. Uh, so, sorry, uh, for the people who are not familiar with the intrinsics of the Linux kernel, um, the schedulers essentially take care of running things like userland processes, depending on the state of various um, contexts. Like if, for example, a program is waiting on I.O., needless to say, it doesn't make much sense to run this program because the program would just be idling. So if you're trying to read from a file being, for example, LS, like list, or, or some application, the kernel will put you on hold, so to speak, while you're waiting for the disk drive to deliver the data. Um, similar... Which, in turn, has its own schedule. Indeed, yes. Um, similar with kind of general user space um, threads, or rather processes, as we... As probably we all know, uh, Linux is a so-called multi-tasking, uh, multi-user operating system, similar to something called Unix ages ago. So the idea is uh, being a typical time what slice. Next step. Was that a say again? What about next step? Was that a multi-user? Yes, that's another operating system. Yeah, was it also? Uh, yeah, in in contrast, <laughs> yes, in contrast to Linux, actually, Next Step, if spelled incorrectly, has the power <laughs> to summon planet eaters. Deep. For long time listeners of the show. Anyway, uh, going back to Sorry, yeah. yeah, going back to <laughs> Linux. Um, uh, yes, the idea is of course to give you the illusion that you're using a mainframe or a smaller size computer, basically um, by yourself. So the so the way it's done essentially, each and every user using a Linux system, similar to Unix, gets a time a so-called time slice, 
uh, for the execution of their programs. And this is what you see, actually, if you deploy a lot of applications on a, on a Linux system, um, the operating system is doing its best to maintain that illusion, um, sometimes slowing you down, but still divvying up the available process mm -hmm. processing power between the different users and their processes. So these are the kind of the main approaches to scheduling tasks or processes or threads in Linux and other okay. processing approaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there are some optimizations which are going to be revealed in the show notes. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Okay. No, that's curious. It's, it's something that's... I mean, with the... With the um, this subsystem, there's a lot of different schedulers anyway in the first place, right? So it's curious to see. I didn't um, pick up on that fact. Well, Linux has about, what, um, 27 years of, maybe 26, mm. uh, of development um, time incorporated in it. In it. So <clears throat> that's a lot of time to get things right. And that's yeah. exactly what you see in the, in, in the, in the, in the kernel. Uh, because all of the, all of the various subsystems where it doesn't make sense have their, for example, their own scheduling. Uh, that goes for networks, uh, for the whole network stack. That goes for this. Um, that goes for a user land process and all the rest of it. Hmm. Okay. As a um, as a Linux user, how involved do you get in this kind of changing of schedulers? It's straightforward. I mean, if you want to give a process a different priority, for example, you use a you use a command called nice. Nice directly affects the yeah, scheduling that's not priority of the scheduler itself. Though, it? uh, no, yeah. okay. no. For this, you need root rights as an admin as an admin rights. And kids don't try this at home unless you want to screw up your system, because if you don't if you don't know what you're doing, you can easily um, bring a system to its knees. Yeah, and this is normally mm -hmm. why the user land is heavily guarded from such attempts. For example, nice allows you being ordinary user only allows you to increase the nice value, thus lowering the priority of your <clears throat> of your process. Only the root user can actually reduce the nice value, thus effectively increasing the priority of a process and mm -hmm. the and, and the corresponding threats. Excellent. So, what other news do we have, Martin? Well. Uh, what other news do we have? Hmm. Um, does it have to be open source? <laughs> no, it can be anything. Just go ahead. Another data breach, perhaps? Another breach? No, no data breaches, as far as I'm aware, this time. No, no, no. Okay. No, the um, uh, one of the the news things I uh, well, I don't know if it's news as such, but um, in the it is related to open source, but. Um, yeah, so so in in our line of work, there are um, uh, many companies that take an open core um, project and um, monetize this, right? Um, but that's not news. No, it's not news. Um, the, well, <laughs> the news is really that this continues to happen um, with pretty much any open source project out there. So yes. Um, which I'd just like to. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. It's not news, but um, it's just something that um, has struck me time and time again um, over the last week that so, so many people are doing this, and 
it kind of goes against the open source um, well the idea right okay yes they're adding features and this thing or whatever but um, just like to see your view on that yeah, well I mean we both work for an open core company full disclosure we are both employed by a company called Redis Labs um, mm. uh, well the money has to come from somewhere right I mean, you can go down the next cloud route, as in just provide support or, 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 or even or even Red Hat, because that's essentially what Red Hat is doing. Just provide support, professional service training around this. And then there's the other approach, basically open core, meaning that some of your IP would be closed source. And that's exactly what, what, what the likes of Confluent, Redis Labs, um, DataSex, and all the rest of them are doing. <clears throat> I see the merits with both approaches because at the end of the day somebody has to pay the bills. Needless to say, um, companies like Nextcloud and Red Hat are just closer to communism like the other ones because all of their IP is in the open. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, this is, this is it, right? It's, um, there are many, well, there are different approaches to this. And it, uh, it's just every, you know, uh, you get all these new ones coming up all the time because every time someone starts a new open source project and then someone has a great idea to <laughs> launch a company around it and it's kind of there has to be a better way to make open source um, you know uh, proliferate rather than uh, through commercial means uh, I haven't uh, yeah it, it's just something it's not news but it's something that, that struck me over the past week it just isn't with all these with the number of new ones coming along as well, right? There's, there's, you know, tons of them that are doing uh, stuff based on Druid and stuff based on uh, Apache, Camel, and, and this and that and the other. It's any any open source project you f can find that <laughs> there'll be a, a, a startup around it, right? Trying to monetize it. So, um, yeah, bit a bit of a rant rather than news. But. I mean, that's okay. I mean, uh, if you take a look at any enterprise in this current time, as in now, um, you don't have to dig deep, you'll find open source left, right, and center. If it's mm -hmm. And even if it's just their mail system, or their printing system, or, or, or their virus scanner, you'll find a piece of open source in every enterprise, no matter what, in terms mm -hmm. of size, number of people, revenue, and so forth. As a matter of fact, uh, it's not the debate... If uh, whether whether a company should use open source, it's just a matter of basically how much open source is a company willing to bet on, in terms yeah. of, for example, new product development. Of course, that also affects the overall ecosystem that they use to develop their apps. For example, the licensing is pretty determined. Uh, determining here is that the word I'm looking for. Is the determined factor, yes. In terms of, for example, um, take the GPL, the GNU Public License version 2, version 3, um, or even for the hyperscalers, the Afaro GPL, as mm -hmm. in uh, a more strict version of the GPL. If you touch a piece of code that is licensed under the GPL, you are supposed, and there have been many lawsuits on that matter, uh, to publish your changes, because that's exactly what the GPL says. You take you take the source code, you touch it, you modify it, and then the public has a right to access yes. your modifications. In contrast Agreed. to more liberal licenses like 
three close BSD, MIT, Apache, you name it, that allow you pretty much to do what you want with the with the source code. Maybe uh, apart from the fact that you have to credit the origin or something like this, but it doesn't restrict the usage of that source code. So if you have this great idea of doing the next big thing, like the new Netflix, the new Amazon, the new eBay. Needless to say, you don't want to write your stack completely by yourself because you rely on open source components. Of course. Mm -hmm. That saves you time, that saves you effort, that saves you manpower. But, and this is a very important but, you want to make sure that you pick the right components in terms of does the license restrictions um, <clears throat> fit your business model? Deployment options. Um, if you are putting a piece of code that is especially licensed under a under a Faro GPL. You cannot use this basically to to to, to run in your cloud. Um, same goes for example. I'm sorry, it's uh, I have to cut this out because the interests are slightly more complicated. Um, mm. Best example: um, Redis Labs has something called a re, uh, Redis. Um, sorry, a source available. Yes, a source available um, mm. license. Being a hyperscaler, you cannot take a code base licensed under this and put it into your cloud. So that restricts the um, the usage options. And there have been and there has been a big debate about this in the OSI circles and so forth. There was a first time talk by Chris Lamb and friends about contributing to Redis module code bases that made the rounds and as I see as I said I can see I can see both sides because the money has to come from somewhere because what the likes of AWS and friends do and Microsoft and Google are probably except the exceptions that prove that rule because if you take a look at their track record they tend to partner with these open source projects and companies behind them um, um, Confluent well, and, and Redis yeah, probably being the best examples, never mind uh, MariaDB and so forth. Yeah, but Amazon being the old one out, right? Where That's exactly it, and oh, maybe okay. even SoftLayer, or, what, <coughs> or what's now <coughs> IBM Cloud, or even Oracle. Mm. Um, mm. They take the code base, they put yep. a managed wrapper around it, they charge for it, but they don't well, give anything else, back. Yeah, exactly, but also they make um, their own improvement and changes, right? which if if you... You know, if, if you are serious about this stuff, you should be doing that rather than... Uh, and it's the same with, you know, even consumers of open source in the large enterprise, in my opinion. They could be, instead of, uh, you know, paying vendors for support and so on, they could also be contributing to the projects and keeping them going that way um, and improving them rather than uh, going for a pure consumer model. They um, they don't. I mean, how how much has has AWS contributed back? Oh, sorry, Amazon, uh, yeah. back to the Redis code base um, in terms of making it uh, compatible with the hyperscaler infrastructure. I can't. Mm -hmm. I cannot really see. I, I cannot see. I cannot recall seeing any 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 pull requests here. In contrast, Microsoft, of course, the being uh, <clears throat> any contribution to the Linux kernel because it was under a different license model. Because since I think '94, Linux has been under the GPL. Where, uh, so Microsoft had to push any changes back into the code base. So any changes that they made in order to have the kernel running on something called Azure, they had to they had to contribute hmm. back. Um, 
from a legal perspective, but then they coupled with the fact that Linux is there to stay, whereas Windows and the server board in production, Jira is still out on that. Um, so, but then Microsoft is changing in a very big way. Um, yeah. Speaking of Python, I think they at least employ one or even two core contributors to something called CPython, which is the standard mm -hmm. reference implementation for Python on any platform, whether it's OS X, Windows, or Linux and derivatives. Mm -hmm. And if you take a look at their open source code base, it's growing all the time. PowerShell, probably being the best example, PowerShell Core is free and open source. Visual, Visual Studio Code, next thing. Yep. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, good points there. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's all yet to be resolved in, in a satisfactory manner, right? There's, there's the two camps and... Uh, well, it's more than two, but those are in, uh, amongst the cloud vendors. Those are the two big ones, and um, yeah, the, 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 the enterprises out there don't really seem to care about the ethics of these companies, do they? Until we order fewer books. <laughs> well, I think they they've done quite well out of the current situation, or, not or just other for stuff. books. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Mm. Okay. Okay. Martin. Um, what was the thing? Cut something. Cut. Okay. Not cut. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to edit this out. Okay. Yeah, Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, let's start with the with this Python thing, Martin. Why don't you explain to us what Python really is and where you are in your learning curve with regards to language? Questions. <laughs> okay. I can do that. That's fine. Right. So, where am I on learning curve? Well, um, so I have a slightly different approach to yourself, I think, to, to many of these things. What's um, my approach I then? Uh, you, well, your approach is to, um, let's say, take everything apart into the ah, smallest yes. detail. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, I think, a, a somewhat accurate description of my approach. Okay. <laughs> This is why open source is so important because you can take the bloody thing apart and put it put it back together again because the mm -hmm, source code mm -hmm. is available. Martin, on the other hand, apparently just likes to run things and then and then wonders about why this why this shit doesn't work. <laughs> is it because it's open source anyway? Uh, <laughs> um, this only applies to pulp audio in some way, not all of this. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Uh, where were we? So. Yeah, you so, were describing so, your more user land focused approach to uh, software. Indeed, indeed, user land focused approach. Yes. So, um, hmm. so from a programming perspective, uh, went to many iterations many years ago. Obviously, um, university did. Uh, I kind of um, yeah. And it's, it struck me uh, also, you know, we'll come back to this later in the Python uh, questioning section. Uh, <coughs> um, I've always been more on the functional programming side, personally. Um, but there are many different options here. So anyway, go back to Python. Um, it serves a purpose. It's um, easy to deploy. It has a large package um, and library available for many uh, different things it is um uh yeah so the more you do with it the more you kind of realize how powerful it is and also how much 
programming languages have moved on since the 1980s, I guess. <laughs> Full disclosure, um, listeners. <laughs> if you look at Martin's LinkedIn profile, you quickly notice the fact that he has been, for most of his professional life, dealing with databases. Hmm. Meaning, yes, you are listening to an SQL fanboy who copped on to the fact that SQL does not contain a go-to statement. Mm. This is mm. the important for, for, thing, people. For a good reason. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Martin, what I notice is actually that you have been um, uh, administering Oracle database, database for quite some time. Yes, that's part of my yes. working life. This indeed. is just a kind of dis um, a full disclosure thing before we enter the um, Python realm. Due to the length of the original Python discussion, this session has been split into two parts, with the first part following now. Catch the next part in the next episode of Linux and Laws. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, so, hmm, yeah, Python and Oracle didn't really feature too much together um, for a long time, obviously. Uh, even though, yeah, Python as a language is uh, quite old. Uh, hmm, how old is it, Chris? I think Guido devised around early 90s, 92, 93 maybe? So we're looking at yeah. 20 plus years easily. Mm. Um, there's a Wikipedia page basically um, outlining the first commit, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> for Guido von Rossum, if you're listening, Guido, well, good work, well done, keep it up. Um, it was a summer project that he did while he was still at university. Um, he was in charge of looking for a new language. And he took a look at what's out there and then came up with his new language better suiting his needs, and hence Python mm. was developed. Mm -hmm. um, and the name, of course, does not come from a big snake, but rather a comedy troupe called Monty Python, of which Guido von Rossum, at least that's common lore, yeah, is a big fan yes. of, yes. I wonder if Frank is a fan of Monty Python. I do not know. Let's let's tackle this once we go to feedback. <laughs> okay, sorry. Right. How is that for an introduction? What about your own experience with Python? Um, we used Python uh, during the when when we were looking for an implementation language for um, some of the QA harnesses when I was doing my PhD back in the early kind of mid nineties at a university called Trinity College Dublin in Dublin, Ireland itself. Um, yeah. This is also when I first encountered something called Linux, um, which uh, has I been. I going to say Guinness, but no, yeah, yeah Guinness. Guinness came uh, came before this, <laughs> but okay. I've been, but I've been using Linux ever since in in some form or fashion. Um, um, afterwards, so, so 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 sorry. Actual Linux, not not Unix, or is it? Not yet no, Linux? Unix. I encountered mid eighties when I was studying computer mm. science at various universities and and schools so to speak. Um, uh, but Linux we used as a platform to develop and test our experimental microkernel architecture that the research group was working on where I did my PhD. Okay. And this is where I also basically made the choice between Perl and Python because Perl wasn't delivering the goods um, in the fashion that we required them to be. So we resorted to Python to write much of the QA code for the kernel. Um, 
I almost forgot about Python until I rediscovered it, so to speak, late 2000s in terms of 2008, 2009, where I was looking for a programming language to do quick and dirty prototyping with, and I've been mm-hmm. using it ever since. Mm-hmm. And also kind of observing, let's put it this way, the growth of the ecosystem around that language. Because for me, Python means... Similar to other programming language with a corresponding ecosystem, you if you have a problem, you take a look at packages that are out there already and simply write the glue code that is missing um, to achieve the required functionality. Best example. A couple of years back, a friend of mine had about... When was it? How, how many how many roster plans were it? About a couple of 10,000, maybe 20,000, maybe... 30,000 roster plans as in schedules that were stored in Excel spreadsheets. Hmm. And he wanted to convert these to Google Calendar entries um, for whatever reason. Hmm. So he shopped, uh, he shopped around and a consultancy quoted him at least seven days FTE in terms of full-time equivalent hmm for somebody to sit down and to develop this. Mm-hmm. Um, he rang me, I sat down, did some research. Um, I came up with something called LibreOffice. LibreOffice has a Python interface that is, uh, mm. let's put it this way, with some syntactic sugar on top of it in terms of another module. You can simply extract um data from a spreadsheet that isn't uh, that isn't comma separate value form so we simply wrote a, wrote a small batch job that simply converted the excel spreadsheets mm. um into csvs or as a matter of fact i think we didn't do this uh, because libreoffice was a was already then able to read them um as an xlsx files yeah of course yeah, yeah, um yeah, yeah. Then we ext- then 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 the Python uh, program extracted the values via this module or via this package mm-hmm. rather, and of course uh, the Google Calendar has a Python API. Um, I wrote the code within two hours, another hour of testing, and the whole job was done within the afternoon, because once I would uh, I was able to convert one um, spreadsheet there was simply a for loop around around the number of files that were stored in the directory and the whole thing as i said was done within the afternoon and that's exactly the spirit um that you should use when you're writing application software because it's open source so you are standing on the shoulder of giants as in code bases that that other, that other people have written for you that is available on gitlab on github and other f- places where you normally would look out for these and of mm-hmm. course, all of these programming languages, including JavaScript, Golang, Python, Rust, have their own module ecosystem. And for Python, of course, it's the Python package index, also known as P, as PyPy. So my first um, order of the day, what I normally do, is actually to take pip, which is the front end for PyPy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. search for modules that I'm able to use if I want to write something. Then mm-hmm. I download the the, the, the packages. And then, as I said, simply take a look at the at the at the API specification, and simply write the glue code that is missing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, okay. Let me ask you a question on that. Then, I mean, your example is uh, is a good example, um, which I mean, you could do all the same functionality with um, yeah, Linux native tools, right? Um, but um, would you, you? Your I think your argument is that it's a lot easier um, out out there to do you do it with Python, and that there are. M modules available to do that for you. I've, that, uh, yeah, I've yet to um, I've yet to discover a good um, package manager for Bash hmm, or other indeed. shells. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. something out there for PowerShell, but given the fact that I've I haven't I wouldn't call myself a PowerShell expert at all. I know that that there's Chocolaty and other power and other packet packet package managers for Windows. Mm -hmm. Maybe the same goes for Pi for, for PowerShell's core, uh, core, which is also, of course, also available on Linux. But as I said, I haven't done this, um, but I would use Bash um, only for kind of small code bases uh, with a limited amount of functionality, because other than that, you're way better yeah, off using yeah. a real programming language. Um, and, and before and we get hate mail, guys, yeah. <laughs> yes, Bash is a real programming language, as are other shells, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the case that many people just use Bash for simple tasks. Um, so yep. that's my take on the situation. No, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I mean, as you say, uh, for, for fairly limited um, small pieces of code where which don't require pulling in functionality like you know, uh, reading an Excel specific format, then yes, you wouldn't. Um, you can stick with Bash, right? That's what I do as well. But, um, okay, good stuff. Um, so, Martin, if I can ask you a question, given the fact that mm. you've been learning Python for what the last six months, what was your? I wouldn't say learning. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can recall mm. opening up a piece of rotten fruit on a Saturday morning and having some sort of inquiry in my inbox about uh -huh. recommendable Python literature about a year ago. Make that one and a half. Okay. By a guy called Martin Visser. Right. Also known as one of Maybe the co-hosts for, for, for something called Linux in Lost. Uh, <laughs> revisit this post. <laughs> yeah, so I'm still waiting for a proper... Um, uh, note-taking facility for um, for Linux. The ones that you note-taking facility. There's mm. something called LeafPad. Yeah, well, one that doesn't require signing up to some centralized service. Obviously, that's no. LeafPad is essentially just a small text editor that stores files locally on your hard disk. Yeah. Okay. Well, so does VI. So that's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for a more distributed <laughs> approach, you want to check out something called Etherpad. If that rings okay. a bell. I've, I've, I had a quick look last time. Anyway, we, we, we digress, but um, I did look at But the, we digress. Um, <laughs> the examples you gave me, I haven't been impressed so far. So okay. Yeah, sorry. We can cut that out. Uh, um, well, either part is in JavaScript. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right then. So, now then, what did strike me about Python was that it has a paradigm for pretty much, well, not not wouldn't say all of them, but many different um, programming ones, right? So but how did that come about? Was it just because people said, oh, I like object-oriented, so I'm going to put a bit of that in Python as well? Or was there no... But it lacks a go-to, right? <laughs> so so imperative only goes so far. <laughs> <laughs> 
AC has Okay. Um I think the That's idea true. and I cannot of course speak for, for Guido, as in Guido von Rossum, the benevolent dictator for life who invented the language almost thirty years Most ago. Could be an M in there, shouldn't it? Um yes. But yes. I think the idea was basically to um take a look at what's out there and just to provide a better programming environment. So he took imperative paradigms, he took optical paradigms, and yes, to a great deal, and Guido, if you're listening, full marks for this functional paradigms, uh, Lambda's probably being the prominent example here, and molded the new mm. programming language, um, interpreter-based, um, but we get to that in a minute, um, mm. that addressed the requirements at the time. And the language has evolved an awful lot. Uh, for example, there's a Python version two, and there's a Python version, and there's a Python version three. But again, we we'll come to that Python in a minute. Is Python version one? Well, the Python. Uh, version I think Python one is obsolete. If I ah, yeah. okay, okay. but there was one. Okay. I, I think so. Yes, but <laughs> I mean, you're talking ancient times here. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, okay. So yes, and there are differences between Python two and Python three. So Python three is not necessarily backwards compatible with Python two. The other way, the the other way around, to a certain extent, it is because there's something called a future package that you simply import and that addresses the most prominent difference between two and three. Um, but uh, the idea was to provide a language that is concise, functional, object oriented, without the deficits of the prevailing program language at the time, like Perl, I'm almost tempted to say, and other, um, maybe even scripting languages. Mm -hmm. I think that is the, the, the philosophy behind Python. You'd see this, for concise probably being the best example. Python is probably the, uh, the people know who have used Python already, um, forms blocks by indentation. So the more you indent, um, the deeper your block level is where you program. So you don't have curly braces, you don't have do, you don't have done statements like you like you do in, in other programming languages like C++, C, um, Rust, Pascal, Modular 2, and so forth. You simply form blocks by indentation, and that's it. Yeah. Okay, so the, the argument about that is readability, really, isn't it? But, exactly. Um, by, look think, by looking at, at a code yeah. structure, you exactly see where a block starts and where it ends. You don't have to look out for curly yes. braces, for example. Yes, however, you can do matching, can you? Like you can with curly braces or your do done so, so easily. This is where okay. a proper IDE comes into place because an IDE will do that for you. Yeah, but an IDE is not a language, right? So mm, what do you mean? Uh, well, I mean, okay, the IDE. Um, but if you. Okay, so if you. I don't know, take a, uh, a do done example, right? If you, um, you, you grep for your do's, you grep for your done's, and you can see if there's one missing, right? Um, you couldn't do that with, with a piece of Python because you need to uh, very easily. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, know, you know exactly where the indentation ends because you'll see this. Yes, but you can't grep for it, for example. Why do you want to grep for it? Well, if you're debugging or something. No. Uh, do you know about a module called PDB? <laughs> I'm just wondering. PDB. 
No, no, it no. comes with any Python installation, and it's a debugger. On is it something to do with debugging? <laughs> yes, it's a module that is part of the standard library, and you can do debugging on your command yeah. line right away. Cool. Okay, and that supports anyway. yeah. packages, modules, functions, line numbers, you name it. Cool. And of course, for the hipsters among the listeners, you can use PyCharm. You can you can use mm. Intelli- you can use IntelliJ plugins. You can use Eclipse plugins. Um, VS Code. VS Code, of course. Even I think the Python mode in Emacs has a debugger interface. Ooh. For those of you who are tired of using Vim. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. Uh, it's too much complexity. Anyway, for me. Vimis, yes. Emacs is straightforward, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent. So that was really the, the yeah, um, why so many of those different p- programming paradigms was a good idea at the time by Guido. Uh, but I think, uh, but I still think he did, a, he did a very good job because only 30, oh, yes, 30 years on, Python is, if Stack Overflow and any other surveys or anything to go by, a very popular language. Uh huh. Yes. Uh, Similar to agreed, English, agreed. Italian, hmm. um, maybe even American or Spanish. American, is that a language? Uh, I think it is, yes. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so that kind of brings me on to the related point, uh, which is. Um, Okay, it's popular, uh, but will it remain this way, and is it necessarily a good thing, right? Because um, uh, yes. t- take Java, right? I mean, Java was very popular, and you now it's on the decline, and so on, and so on, and so on. I wonder um, why. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, l- luckily I avoided all the Java... Um, uh, no, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, programming language are like cars, women and men. You know the one? You know them? Fruit? Yeah, yeah fruit maybe. <laughs> you know one of them, you know them pretty much all, but they do differ. That's the point that I'm making here before we get any hate mail. Wow, yeah, that's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a bad generalization, isn't it? Yes, right? indeed, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all serve yeah. their purpose. Goes without saying. True. Yes. True. So, um, okay. the likes of Kim Kardashian is not necessarily comparable to the likes of Maggie Thatcher, for want of a better um, comparison. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> anyway, no jokes aside. Um, one of the Python has a couple of traits that makes it not necessarily unique, but uh, different. Okay. Let's put it this way. For example, it's a script-based language, so you don't mm-hmm. have as a, a compiler in place hmm. per se. There are compiler-based mm-hmm. implementations mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. PyPy and other stuff that deploy JITs as in just-in-time compilers, but um, the standard C Python implementation is a script, is a scripting engine. So it takes your source code, it parses it, it mm-hmm. constructs something called an ASD and abstract syntax tree, which is then 
translated into an, in, in, into an intermediate language, which is then interpreted by, uh, by something very similar to a JVM, as in a, as in a Java virtual machine, only because mm -hmm. it's not Java, it's not a virtual machine in terms of uh, it doesn't have the complexity of a JVM, uh, but the interpreter that works on the generated code is in functionality very comparable to the JVM. Mm. Um, there have been um, multiple yeah. other approaches to tackling this problem, um, because doing it that way has a certain performance issue. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, so, uh, for example, there's something called Nutka, details in the show notes, there's something called PyPy. There's something called Siphon mm -hmm. um, that basically take your uh, that basically take your Python code and translate this into machine language in one shape or another using various approaches. Um, there's also, for example, something called Jython. I think it's called that takes your Python code and transforms it into a format that a JVM can understand. So you are able to execute Python on your J in, in your JVM ecosystem, mm -hmm. which comes in handy if you're a Java fanboy, I suppose. Except that you're not writing in Java. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But rather a proper programming um, language. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and the things like garbage collection come with that as well, obviously. Um, but, um... Yeah, so if, if we... Okay, so descripting... It's, what is it good for, right? It's good for... Um, past development, uh, prototyping, bloody bloody. Um, if you, however, were to write a, I don't know, say a, a low-level driver for something, you wouldn't resort to Python, right? Not necessarily, no, because that, hmm. for that you would use something much more, much closer to the hardware, like C or maybe even Rust. Yeah. So, so if we talk about the advantages of Python, what would you say they are? Well, the comprehensive ecosystem com that immediately comes to mind. I mean, there are yeah. significant code bases written in Python, um, not necessarily open source. Do you know a company called Dropbox? Mm -hmm. Dropbox, if you take a very close look, both the server side that you don't see, but the client side even, mm. is implemented in Python. Cool. So it's cross-platform. It works on your Mac. It works on your Linux system. It works on your Windows system. But yeah. uh, under the hood, it's still Python. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, fun fact, Guido, def after working for Google, Guido defected to Dropbox being the benevolent dictator for life. I should probably um, explain what a BDFL is. Yeah, uh, um, a BDFL is somebody who gives a project direction. So Guido invented the language... Guido mm -hmm. still, although he stepped down as the main caretaker of Python, Guido still drives the direction, drives the roadmap for the project. Although, um, like with every, like with any other large project, Python is at the end of the day a community project. So let's let's basically let's take a look at how the language is developed. You have something called PEPs, standing for Python Enhancement Proposals. Uh, where simply people describe what they see as the next big step for Python. For, exa for example, there's a very famous PEP 404. Martin, does that ring a bell? 
Well, we're going to HTML error, isn't it? Uh, very close, yes. <laughs> HTML4.4 means uh, page not found, if I'm not completely mistaken. Hmm. For Python, it describes the state of development and the timeline for something called Python 2.8. Mm -hmm. Martin slowly discovers what this is all about. PEP 404 explains that there won't be a Python 2.8, but rather the development will stop at a point Con in time. Continuous uh, increase of Python 2.7. <laughs> Something along these lines. And then all the code bases should be shifted or, to be, or should be migrated, for, for, uh, to use a better expression, to, put to something called Python 3. Because... Guido and friends clearly saw the benefits of not having to maintain two different versions I'm exaggerating but you get the mm -hmm. drift of a language in parallel and that point in time was actually the 1st of January of this year um, quite a few major distributions, Red Hat probably being the best example, have decided to continue to maintain Python 2 uh, the, the Python 2 code is for their for the respective distributions. So, for example, Red Hat, is, Red Hat still backports security fixes to Python 2.7. Yeah, when you say maintain, you mean uh, yeah, the bug fixes. The, yeah, the, yeah, bug fixes and security enhancements. No mm -hmm. new functionality, of course. Mm -hmm. That goes without saying. Um, the idea, of course, is that quite a few of, especially the larger customers, have millions, if not billions, of lines of code written in Python 2. So, so that's a significant investment, and as you can imagine, migrating this to Python 3 is a significant effort. So normally you would do this um, uh, in a phased approach, but given the fact that PEP 404, I think, dates back to 2008, 2007, if I'm, if I'm not completely mistaken, PEP 404 to the majority of the people in 2019 was pretty much like Christmas. Nobody told you it's going to be there, but all over a sudden, all overnight, uh, 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 just overnight, it's there hmm. without you knowing it, right? Because just just because of the fact that 10 years ago somebody told you, sorry, we won't develop this any further, and the 1st of January 2020 is the absolute deadline for this, hey, you couldn't care less, right? Sounds a bit like Brexit, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> Very similar, yes. <laughs> so, so the idea is, of course, that, every, that that nobody really kind of had a clear migration strategy that they started to plan in 2015, leaving them, say, five years' time to meet that deadline, but rather discovered the fact that, oh, yeah, PEP 404 was out in the open for at least 10 years, but we couldn't care less, but now we have this shitload of a code base to maintain, so what should we do? Um, especially given the fact that uh, it's open source and if it's not maintained uh, that leaves a pretty decent attack surface hmm. meaning that if you do not backport security fixes your oh. Python code base written uh, for, for Python 2 tends to increase in vulnerability all the time especially uh, if more and more zero days as in, where, as in security uh, issues where, where there's no bug fix yet developed before, uh, see the light of day. And that's exactly the issue. So that's the reason why, as I said, why, why the likes of uh, Red Hat and so forth decided to backport security fixes or mm -hmm. other bug fixes so that the attack surface still can be maintained on a minimal level. 
But yeah. anybody out there is strongly advised, and um, <laughs> I'm almost to name, I'm almost tempted to name a very com a company very close to our hearts, probably to be the prime example here to get their shit in order in in terms of getting a migration strategy in place, if not already executing on it, to move all their Python to legacy code to Python three immediately, if they mm -hmm. haven't done this yet. Yeah, because going forward, you will you will just see the security issues increasing out in the wild, especially if you're developing code that is customer facing, internet facing. You want to have your house in order. Simple as that. As, as in supplying it with a, a product that you're selling. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, before we continue on the Python two and three discussion, uh, I want to go back to the uh, BDFL um, topic. Because essentially, uh, Guido was running the project on his own until he stepped down, and um, no, he didn't. He just meant, well, okay. Um, what did he do? If you take a look at the mailing list, it has been always a community effort. Guido, of course, had the final say in matters. Well, this is yeah, this is the, Hence, the, 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 the D for dictator, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you take a look at the PEPs, the PEPs have been written by the community, and the whole approval process sure. was done by the Guido community. Says, yes or but no. Yes, Finally, but yeah, okay. but Guido still had the mm -hmm. final say, mm -hmm. and I think that was the cause for what was it five seventy one five seventy two. Okay, uh, that caused him actually to step down mm. as a BD. Now, yes, yeah. so um, yes, so now there is a committee doing these decisions. There has always been a committee. It just no 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 no. no <laughs> it just no, 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 no. Guido had the last say. Yes, 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 yes. But now the committee has the last say, yes? Uh, I think so, yes. But this is the whole point um, of the yeah, stepping down activity, sure. <laughs> there's something called the PSF, the Python Software Foundation, um, uh -huh. which is now a formalized body. Not too sure if if the committee is now part of the PSF, because I'm not really that involved with, with, the, shenanigans, with the shenanigans going on at the PSF. But the PSF is, is, is essentially in charge of maintaining the package index, as in PyPy. Um, doing events, so like for example the PyCon would be organized by the PSF or its subsidiaries mm -hmm. and of course um, funding various activities around the language like maintaining python.org and all the rest of it so that would be the prime purpose of the, 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 the prime purpose of the PSF and of course the PSF is sponsored by the likes of 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 the big uh, the the usual suspects like like the, the like the likes of Microsoft, the likes of Red Hat mm. and so forth. It's a community body essentially, tasked with promoting the language, standardizing the language, and keeping the shit together. Okay, excellent. I'm still confused about that. Um, Dear uh, listeners, Martin is easily confused, but that's yeah. okay. Well, I, either someone, uh, Guido makes the decisions or someone else does now. What was the point of stepping down otherwise? Um, yeah. Um, as I said, the community <laughs> or the community is, I think they had a, they had a committee before, but be, Guido being part of the committee had the final say. Now it's a much, uh, I wouldn't say much more democratic effort, but it's, it's more a group effort, let's put it this way, of deciding because the BDFL is essentially gone. He still yeah. works. Yeah. Um, in the background, you'll see this with what is the pep for this PEG parser? Um, sorry, people. Python 3.9 will have a PEG parser 
parser uh, in contrast to um, what is it um, the existing LL1 parser hmm. and this is I think outlined in PEP let me look it up 596 talks about the 3 line release schedule and the PEP for the parser is yes 617 so 617 is the hmm. uh, improvement of for, for C Python as part of the Python release 3.9, where, where actually Guido says, let's replace the LL1 parser with a PEG yeah. parser. And this PEP is written by Guido von Rossum himself. So, never mind the fact that he stepped down, he's still involved in the development of the language. Indeed, indeed. Because that PEP, actually, I'm just looking at the PEP page, was created okay. no less on the 24th of March this year. So more than a year after he stepped down, if I'm not completely mistaken. Okay, good stuff. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm not disputing the fact that he's not uh, no longer involved. That he is not still involved, but um, more the, the uh, final approval of PEPs, right? That is now a different process. Yes, yes? it's much more yeah. community oriented. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, so going back, where were we? Yeah, so Python two to three, we um, we touched on uh, reasonably. So I believe there's also a utility out there. Have you had any experience with that? Uh, yes, um, two to three, it's called. Essentially, yeah. it's a pluggable framework of uh, helping you or for helping with migrating your two to three code base on a more or less automated fashion. It takes care yeah. of the most prominent sub, uh, suspects for you automatically. For example, the main difference between Python 2 and Python 3 is, depending on your level of knowledge um, and your background, of course, print is a statement in Python 2 and it's a function in Python 3. So in Python 3, you have to decorate this with braces because it's not a statement anymore. Otherwise, Python will bark at you. This is the level of automation that Python can take care of. Hmm. Um, as with other, as with any other automation tool, it has to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, yes, it will take care of the most prominent differences for you automatically, but you're strongly advised to do a proper code base review afterwards, making sure that not only the syntax, but also the semantics are changed. Another big thing is, of course, for example, between Python 2 and Python 3 is string handling. Python 2 um, treats strings as a sequence of characters, pretty much like um, mm. C, whereas in Python 3, strings are UTF-8 collection of characters because okay. sequences of, of single 8-bit characters would be represented by bytes, like a byte array or byte sequence. So it's these it's that level of detail that you have to watch out for. And of course, as usual, the devil lies in the details. Mm -hmm. So two to three, yes, can help you an awful lot, especially that, especially given the fact that you just give it a directory and it simply takes a look at the Python files in that directory and then converts them one by one. But it won't help you with doing a full system integration test, never mind user acceptance, before you deploy this in production. Um, tools only go so far, people. As usual, uh, human intelligence has to be applied afterwards. Good stuff. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's very sensible. I mean, it's, as you say, it's the same with any automation tool, right? Um, and it kind of comes down to how have you built your um, your whole pipeline of development. Absolutely, and yes. And uh, how you've automated that. Um, okay, so do we think that you will ever die as such? Yep, it's penciled in for the 24th of March to twenty. 24 and I think that's a Sunday if I'm not completely mistaken I might be wrong on the on the particular weekday but mm. that's the point in time when uh, yeah when Python 2 definitely will die it's part of C Python as in the standard implementation the reference implementation will cease to function on that date if I'm not completely mistaken right. and of course okay. that's my attempt at humor <laughs> For those people okay. who missed it, no, it basically boils down to the fact that uh, how many companies are willing to maintain a dying code base in terms of the Python 2 C Python reference implementation? Because C Python, and that comes with any operating system that Python supports, is your standard implementation. You find this on Windows, mm -hmm. you'll find this on OS X, you'll find this actually on Linux and mm -hmm. other Unix derivatives. Um, this is your reference implementation that will work on any platform and it's, okay. it's just a matter of how willing are people to pour effort into this code base for python 2 because it's dying there won't be any functional improvements only security fixes and bug fixes will enter the code base based on um on your distribution vendor mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we're saying, well, I mean, we say uh, C Python being the the, the reference um, implementation. C Python. Are there any others out there? Oh yeah, I think I touched upon them already. You have something called Python. Uh, you, you you have you, okay. Ah, yes, of first, of course, you, yeah. you have the you have the just dumb compilers, and then you have other language ecosystems aimed at different execution environments, like for example, Jython. Um, there's also something called Iron Python, um, using a similar approach. I mean, they all have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, for example, there's something out there called... What's it called, Martin? I don't know. What are we talking about? Um, <laughs> you mentioned this, right? You mentioned something called Stack... Oh, uh, Stackless. Uh, stackless, yes. yes. Sorry, yes. yes, yes. Um, stackless. Stackless, um, Martin discovered the fact that Stackless is just another Python implementation, but um, in contrast to C Python uh, and similar to other Python implementations, it only maintains a certain version of Python. Um, so the trouble, of course, with the other language ecosystems is that, the, in contrast to C Python, they may only support Python 3.1.2.3.4.5, but only C Python, because its reference mm -hmm. implementation has the newest language standard be implemented. Um, so while we're on the subject of Stack Exchange, Martin, why is that important for you? Stackless. Stackless, sorry, yes, not Stack, Stack Exchange. Stack Exchange yes. is uh, It's something uh, different. Something. <laughs> Why is it important to me? Um, okay, so yeah, three um, uh, three ways of doing panel processing, multi processing, whatever you want to call it, um, making use of of uh, CPU cores um, in, in Python, right? 
uh, threading, uh, multi-processing, and uh, not potentially async IO. Async IO doesn't really help you with with um, parallelizing jobs so much. But um, does it not? Okay. I, no. I are you mute? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was asking the question. So, yeah. Hang on! <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't ask back, right? <laughs> yeah, I lost my train of thought. Now. Okay, um, okay. Why doesn't AsyncOwl help you with parallelism? Why doesn't AsyncOwl what? Sorry. Why doesn't AsyncIO help you with parallelizing your your application? Well, um, okay, we are. Okay, well, in, in my view, um, it's purely about uh, whether you wait for the um, a response or not, right? So how is this actually paralyzing something on multiple cores? This is a very important differentiation, people. Okay, mm -hmm. let's, take a, let's take a quick step back and let's take a look at the difference between processes, threats, User-level oh. threats and co and something called core routines. Okay. Uh, you want to give it a shot, Martin, or should no, I take it from expert. here? You're the expert. <laughs> I'm the expert. Okay. Now I, I, I will I will comment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please do correct my biggest mistakes <laughs> in the following <laughs> explanations. Uh, by all means, Mister Mister. By all means. Okay. Okay. You have something. The, the term operating system rings a bell. You've probably heard about mm. this before. An operating next, system next, has next next step is for yes 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 very much so like Linux and other operating systems exactly yeah. and oper and and operating systems tend to have something called a kernel uh -huh. the kernel is in charge of driving the lower level uh, driving the lower levels of the system like talking to the hardware and hmm. also very important allocating CPU slices to something called the user land the user land of course is where applications live like the shells, like the IDEs of the world, like your Python code that is executed by CPython. Okay, hang on. Um, yes. Right. I mean, these are just processes. Very important, yes. A pro okay. Martin, what right. is a process? <laughs> Going back to, to your uni <laughs> days. A process, a process consists of what? Well, it depends. Uh, yeah. No, it doesn't uh, depend. No, no, no. It does depend. The process is 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 an uh, uh, an abstract construct. Let me let me rephrase it, the not, question. Not necessary. Let me rephrase yeah. the question. What does in Linux um, a process entail? Well, it's uh, basically um, an executable that runs on a. Uh, uh, that's part of the CPU uh, allocation for running, right? Almost correct. Piece of code. <laughs> in yeah. Linux, like uh, like other operating systems, especially the, yeah. the ones that are able to deal with virtualized memory, consists of something called an address space, a set of registers, um, especially an instruction pointer, a stack, um. And what did I miss? Yeah, we 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 forget about the likes of file descriptions yeah, okay, and so you, forth. Well, you, you're talking about the internals of a process. Uh, right? Yes, um, and w and and now the important bit: one or more so-called threats. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and this is the important bit, people. This is this is all you need because a process in Linux and other operating systems is an execution context. 
So typically in the olden days, before the invention of threads, you had in a typical Unix process, you had a virtual address space, you had a set of memory pages, and the rest was essentially residing on disk in something called a swap space, um, and you had a program counter and a set of registers. This process could be interrupted at any time by the kernel. Hmm. Going back to my earlier description about slices, that's exactly how you implement a multi-user multi multitasking operating system. Um, and then OS2 and other, and, and, and other hipster operating systems came hmm. along and invented something or brought something with them called threads. Now you did have more than one execution context per process. Um, and Windows NT being the copycat... Yep. Essentially, took this from OS2 and implemented that and implemented this in Windows, but then POSIX came along and implemented this for other pro, uh, for for other operating systems as well. So any other, oh, sorry, before the hate before the hate us some email, hmm. POSIX of <laughs> course being a standard, people wrote the standard so the OS implementer implementers could implement POSIX compliant interfaces for this functionality. Just to be correct here, so essentially the way it works is basically a a process, and that goes for Linux, that goes for OS X, that goes for Windows, and, the, uh, and any other new or modern operating systems. Um, a process has still a, has still a, a virtualized or an address space in general has still a set of registers, but now has at least one thread. Um, you can have more than one thread, meaning that you have to synchronize them um, accordingly because they all run in the same address space. And if yeah. they want to do concurrent accessing of, of example, f of one particular address, that uh, that access has to be synchronized, because otherwise mm -hmm. you will have race conditions and other fun stuff. Uh, for those of you who have ever used threads, you know what I'm talking about. So that introduces the whole notion of concurrent programming, including locks, semaphore, signals, you name it. They're all present yes. in Linux, and they're all present in Windows, they're all present in OS X. But the important thing is that a threat, at the end of the day, is still a kernel entity. The kernel knows how to create them. The kernel knows how to schedule threats, even running in the same address space. And the kernel knows also how to end threats if the application doesn't do it. Um, similar to the way a kernel knows how to create processes. This is the mm -hmm. important distinction. So okay. if you want to... Um, for example, if you have a blocking threat, um, just just imagine the the the, the situation where 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 a userland threat blocks on a system call in your in your application, the kernel takes away the processing time while this thread is blocking and allocates the CPU slice to a different thread, mm. mm -hmm. maybe even in a different application. And now the main distinction between something called tasklets, green threats, or even coroutines is that these entities are purely driven by the user land. The kernel doesn't know about them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the main this is the main difference people. Moving up a level. Yeah. And the main mm -hmm. benefit of the latter approach is of course you do not have the expensive context switch. Because if you want to reschedule a threat, the the CPU has to enter the kernel context. The, the kernel has to make an important decision 
of whether to of whether to um, to suspend the current threat and resume a different one, and then hmm. to resume execution of that threat or a different one. That means always you basically enter the kernel address space. That always means a context switch, and from a CPU scheduling perspective, that's a very expensive operation in terms of microseconds that you're spending with it on, on this. Mm -hmm. In contrast to this, user-level entities, like green threats, like whole routines, like tasklets, you name them, um, or what's the, what's the abstraction Golang? I can't even remember. It's not, it's not channels, but something similar. Um, these are purely userland entities. The kernel doesn't yep. get involved. The language environment, as in C Python, in the Python in, in the Python case, takes mm -hmm. a decision of how to schedule them. That makes these entities, in comparison to operating system threats, pretty damn fast, because you don't have to t you don't have to enter the kernel. You you don't have to do that context switch into the into the kernel address space. Mm -hmm. This is the main benefit. And coroutines in the shape of async.io, in the shape of tasklets, as an introduced by stackless and all the rest of them, are just examples for this. So if you do an await in Python, if you're, you, if you're, if you're prone to async.io programming, this, uh, this await is actually handled by CPython itself. The kernel doesn't see it. This is the important yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, well, that's very well explained. Excellent. Okay, now it's mm. time, mm. I think, for the feedback. Okay. Do we have feedback? I think we do, yeah. Um, yeah, um, marketing got in touch. Uh -huh. And um, essentially, uh, yeah, the, the listener, uh, yeah, the listener survey is back. Um, sales wasn't too impressed with the whole New York debacle. I'm sure you heard about this. Yes, uh, somebody, um, somebody from. You see, this is the problem, Martin. Right? If you set up shop uh, north of Central Park, as in Harlem, Bron the Bronx isn't too far away. Um, okay, there's a bigger picture involved, people here. Um, about a year ago, Martin had this grand idea of we need an outlet in New York City. So. We got the we got the board involved. We ran the numbers, checks out. We go there. Um, Martin is under the impression we need some sort of outfit in Williamsburg, as in Brooklyn, because this is where the hipsters are. Fair enough, um, or even Lower Manhattan. And I says, no, Martin, this is going to be pretty expensive. We need a mortgage and we need a credit line for this. This is the important bit, right? So we visit a couple of banks, um, and this is basically where the real shit starts. Um, we are facing this lady about late 30s, maybe early 40s, about 200 pound, but all in the right places. We get, well, I get her down to about 9% annual. And right from the point when we walk into the room, she gives Martin the look. She eyes up Martin. Big, I mean, I wasn't even in the picture. So we sat down and constantly she's trying to connect with my beloved co-host only to hear and listen to this people. This is, this is, this is, this is great. Only to hear the, these famous words. I do not do overweight middle-aged women. 
Let this sink in. Martin at the meeting utters these famous words, you're not, you're not my type. Rather than saying, I'm happily married or the wife wouldn't approve, but in brackets, I would. But that's beside the point. So, Martin, this is what is known as taking one for the team, right? Which you didn't do. Isn't that your <laughs> Uh, no, Martin, I had to do this. As a matter of fact, I had to take three for the team, only to get excellent, it, excellent. only to get a decent mortgage out of her. Good job, that man. Yeah. Okay, um, because yes, because of this mishap, for want of a better expression, ah, well, that's quite a success expression. <laughs> Uh, we ended up with an outfit in 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 upper in, uh, in upper Harlem, and of course the Bronx isn't too far away. So you get all these blown-ins, and they wreck your and they wreck your outfit. So sales wasn't impressed. But how did how did I end up here? Um, yes, list uh, <laughs> survey exactly. Um, yeah, Saints complained about it, but feedback, anyway, yes, feedback. Um, yes, um, according to uh, the marketing department, we have about six and a half listeners these days. Um, and Claudio being one of them, I think. Well, he was until last episode. <laughs> well, actually, no, he sent a mail saying, good job, I really like the review of the review, let me get back to you. I don't know whether that's a threat or a promise. Oh, it could be so. <laughs> I see, okay. <laughs> or, or are we expecting the review of the review of the review? Um, yes, um, also the focus groups apparently are doing a pretty good job. Um yeah, they came up with Haskell as the next language to review, other than <laughs> Python. Um, how good are your Haskell skills, Martin? I heard it mentioned the other day. Okay. <laughs> so we got it. So what do you, in that case, let, let's, let's take turns. So I'm going to ask you about Haskell next time around. <laughs> That's only fair, right? <laughs> You never know what these focus groups are good for, right? <laughs> okay. Um, ah, and uh, all, all joking, joking aside. No, seriously. I, I mean, across, yeah. I mean, I did come across someone who mentioned Haskell, Haskell about something. No, I mean, like, seriously. I mean, marketing came up with the, with these grand proposal of focus groups, and I think they worked out quite well so far. Um, sales may have a different opinion on this, but um, sales also is on the opinion we could make yeah. lots of money in places like New York, which, if you take a look at the numbers, are not that great at the moment. No. Um, of course, if you had taken at least one for the team, we could have set up shop in, in Williamsburg <laughs> because we would have been able to afford that mortgage. But then you had to utter these famous words. I don't do... Overweight middle-aged women. Nice. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the next time I will do this by myself. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, fancies or not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, hmm. Feedback. Feedback. Yes. No? Yes. Feedback. Frank. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Frank wrote. Frank. So who's Frank? Frank is somebody who wrote a comment is he on the New York connection. No, he's not. Okay. No, Frank Roach on Hacker Public Radio. The following words: the sketch. Sorry to say, I've but I found the sketch uh, 
rollback cut. Um, he posted on the 15th of June the sketch. Sorry to say, but I found the sketch not to be funny at all. No, sorry. The sketch... <laughs> sorry to say, I found the sketch not funny at all. Not because I'm a Trump supporter, far from it, but it was just not funny on a, in a comical sense. It gave me a sense of Fremdschirm, which is a peculiar German word my interpretation, and I had to skip over it after listening to the first minute or so. Please also work on your audio, ba on your audio balancing. Yes, my Frank, that is appreciated, because we are still um, trying to get things right. I think we have to talk to the post-production people, Martin. Um, mm, yes, I think um, The yeah, Polish yeah. gang that... I think that, they are that, perhaps yeah, too, no. too much on the beer. Perhaps, um, yeah, yeah um, the Polish gang. The allowance retracted. Yeah. <laughs> the Polish, right. the Polish gang that that Mark uh -huh. that that uh, that sales was so fond of doesn't doesn't cut the cheese. No, uh, the audio quality. I, sh I think I have to go back to do it myself again. I don't know, but hmm. let me have a word with with, with post productions or with the general <laughs> operational department. To my, uh, I might add, yes, because operations. Time. Um, haven't been yeah, there was another great. operation uh, issue, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, recently, let's put it this way. So, yeah, I think a serious automation problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think a serious reorg is actually. <laughs> <laughs> Heads will roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's catchphrase. Right. It's fired as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, marketing sales uh, operations come to mind. Let's see what we can. What else we can do? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yes, and Frank continues to write. First, there was a yes. <laughs> present. No, 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 no. No, the presenters would stay there because they make the numbers right. So you can't fire them. That's for sure. Okay, Frank continues to write. First, there was a low volume talk, then suddenly a much louder techno techno jingle, right before the sketch. Yes, you're right. As I said, let me have the word. Let me let us have the uh, let us have the a word with the Polish crowd. Um, so that we can make some improvements in this area. Okay. Um, we have to do a pox. Oh, yeah, actually, there is another bit of news that I almost forgot to mention. It's not exactly um, open source, but I'm not too sure. Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt rings a bell? Uh, it's definitely not open source. Correct. <laughs> But Brad Pitt recently moved in with somebody called Alia Shawkat. Oh, not with the, your uh, favorite actress, um, whatever her name is. Pamela Adlon? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought no. Thought we were going no, to no, 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 no. Adlon episode again. <laughs> Are you implying you do not know Alia Shawkat? Uh, shortcut. Shawkat. S H A W K A T. This is, this is someone's name. You are joking. No, I'm serious. You don't read... Someone made this up. Yeah. No, you don't read tabloids? real name. Uh, no. You oh, sure. Shawcat, ah, yes. Not, 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 well, are we talking about S-H-A-W or S-H-O-R-E? S-H-A-W. Right. Okay. No, her name is Alia Shawcat. Right. And okay, never heard of her. Fine. Uh, the, <coughs> the TV sitcom Arrested Development doesn't ring a bell. No... And I thought Martin was contemporary. How wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear listeners, um, it might, it um, might or might not be a pox. What is the uh, developments of this news, actually? 
No, like no, they just moved in, and that's shocking. Yeah, well, people move in all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know? oh, it's Brad. It's for news, God's sake. Sorry. No, no news. Well, so, so. I mean, I mean he's my neighbors moved in as well. It's not news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that means that Brad Pitt is off the grid, Martin. Grid? What grid? What's he doing on the grid? Oh Jesus! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your wife got in touch. I'm just looking at an email of her, and she says that actually you have cancelled your Hello subscription. Yes, it does show. Okay, good. Yeah. No, not good, <laughs> because otherwise you would be you would be you would be able to encompass the gravity of the situation, which apparently clearly I you see. are not. Okay, why, why don't you tell me what the gravity is? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I already mentioned sort of, that, Brad. Maybe vaguely. That no, Brad... no, maybe I'm not because that's not really well. <laughs> <laughs> I already mentioned the fact uh, that this moving in is be, has entails implies whatever uh-huh. whatever whatever, whatever you're what, looking what, for what? implies that Brad Pitt is off the grid. Yeah. Meaning, okay, <laughs> sorry for this for the more simple-minded among us. <laughs> uh-huh. What's the one I'm looking for, Martin? Help me out what here. What the, the Brad Pitt support? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, that means Fans. that he's not available. Brad Pitt fanboys. Essentially, that means that he's not available anymore. And your point is? For romantic encounters with a female variety. Although, apparently, Alia Sharkat is bisexual. How is... Hang on. How is this news? It happened... What are we talking about here? It happened recently. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the name news. (laughs) I'm very confused here. Um, Martin is is easily confused. um, Because otherwise, we would have got that really superb Williamsburg outfit are, are we, and a lower uh, mortgage is, rate. <laughs> is this uh, podcast number two, Hello Magazine, the, the sequel or something? No, it still, it still looks in loss. I'm just mentioning the fact that they have moved in together and now that entails that Brad Pitt is off the grid. Apart yeah, from the fact lost. that you can read that, um, that news website also on your Android phone. Which of course runs at the end, at the very end of the day, an open source platform. <laughs> Goes without saying. Okay. So the um, and you find actually the the link in the show notes. And unfortunately, it's in German. So let me translate this. Um, essentially. Ah, see, um, the Germans are the great sad, fans of yeah, that pit. Right. Yeah, the sad news that it's official. One of the <laughs> most wanted singles um, of Hollywood is uh, in in a relationship again. Alia Shawcott, age thirty-one, um, is apparently the lucky, uh, the lucky, the lucky one. Yes, um, at Brad Pitt's side. Is that the way to correct it? Um, there was a long speculation about an affair between the two of them, and um, the reason for this that they have been sat in public recently, um, especially at a concert of the soul musician called Thundercat at the beginning of March. Um, of course, that also leaves... What's her name again? Jennifer Aniston in somewhat of a tatter because there was some news during February and March time for the, for the people who follow that sort of thing, um, as in who have not cancelled their Hello subscription, that apparently Jenny, uh, Jennifer and Brad were getting together again after Brad pub- publicly split from Angelina Jolie uh, last year, I think it was, or something. 
Right. Now Let's Martin see. is really confused. Uh, what the hell this has to do with open source? <laughs> Um, and of course, the the long and short of it, Martin, nothing. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, right. I'm sure it will be very much appreciated by our listeners. This, this news fact. <laughs> um, and that ends um, episode ten of something called the um, Yellow Press Tabloid Podcast. <laughs> Happy to have you to have you as as our solid listener base. <laughs> Do come back for more information on Brad Pitt, Martin Visser, um, Alia Shawkat, and of course Jennifer Aniston. Don't forget, forget uh, Pamela Adman. Yeah. Oh, of course, Pamela Adman, and of course, what's the other one's name? Pamela um, of of um, of um, California, nineteen oh twenty-five fame. Anderson. Yes, Pamela Anderson. That's it. The one with the big. Um, Nose. Exactly, yes. Pamela Anderson, that's the one, yes. <laughs> so, guys uh, and gals, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> <say> <laughs> <we> Hello Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, dear listeners, do not forget, unlike Martin, to renew your Hello subscription if you are looking for that sort of information. Or, of course, you simply subscribe to the RSS feed on Hacker Public Radio. Yes, we have one by ourselves these days because we are now looking at the 10th episode Hacker Public Radio is the place to be for catching up on new episodes um, of uh, linuxinlaws.eu which is of course our website feedback as usual is appreciated at feedback at linuxinlaws.eu yes and more feedback please people and as I said before or as we, as we said before anything goes so if you have any suggestions like Frank did and your feedback of course is appreciated never mind how much fun we make at it um, do send us do send us in either send us to send us an email to feedback at linuxindoors.eu or simply leave a comment on the Hacker Public Way your website this podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license type attribution share alike credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Solid Market, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> Right. You're, um, so as a, as, so as a child, <laughs> did you have many yes. toys? Oh, very much so, yes. Okay. You didn't? Did they, did they um, involve much taking apart? <clears throat> uh, more often than not, they did, yes.
Okay, let's just check it. Uh, cut, cut, cut. Um, there's the Some phone, noise, yeah. yes. Um, let's ah, let turn this phone. Yes. Got it. Let me turn this off. Ah, you still have this. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> it goes hand in hand with the with the with the disposable phones used for drug selling. Yes. <laughs> It's one of the many phone lines, is it? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I cannot go into the details right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, yes. Sorry. Rolling. Um, rolling again. Um, cut rolling. Yes. Uh, you were you were talking about the uh, you yeah you asked me if I ah, had yes. toys as yes, a child. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Okay. Right. Um. Yes, so Toys as Child, taking things apart, great stuff, uh, finding out how things work. Um, and then for a lot of people, kind of life takes over at a certain point. Um, What's life? I heard, yeah, exactly. I heard about the concept, but... <laughs> well, uh, at some point it will stop, uh, just, to, just to let me, <laughs> in case you haven't caught on to the point. I see. <laughs> um, it starts and then yeah, got a bit in the middle. Anyway. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.